Welcome to the Kook Center Podcast, and here's your host. I think it's safe to say that our luck has officially turned around, guys. We are back, baby. We're back. Yeah. Classic. We are back. That's we right. are back. We are getting Doug back. And we're the three best friends that anybody could have. We're the three best friends that anyone could have. We're the three best friends that anyone can have. And we'll never, ever, 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 ever leave each other. Michael Preston. Oh, it is true. We are back. You're saying I can't sing? Is that what you're saying? I mean, you're saying it privately and there's nobody else in the room with me here except for one of my producers who I kicked out because he knocked food out of his bowl earlier. Uller. Talking to you. Hey, he's not looking at me. Welcome back to the Kook Center Hour. We're already talking to the... The feline producers <laughs> were 30 seconds in uh, to the first show of the season. Theo Lawson going to join us here in a little bit. We're going to discuss, uh, maybe not discuss, more yell at the uh, situation with the Maryland Terrapins right now and their head coach under administrative or on administrative leaves. The school looks into the death of a football player from heat stroke back in June. Uh, but first, we're going to talk about uh, the Washington State Cougars here in 2018. And we started... Uh, a week later than, you know, actually a couple weeks later than we would normally be accustomed to uh, last year because uh, it's just, you know, a little easier. Not as much to talk about in this camp except for the quarterback competition. And we are going to get into that again with Theo here in a couple of minutes. But um, I think the other thing too is, is I, if you're like me, you just haven't felt as hyped up for this season. You haven't felt quite as into it. You haven't felt quite as enthusiastic you haven't felt quite as I guess I want to say hopeful for this season because Washington State lost a lot um you know I I, there and there are a lot of key positions you're replacing uh players at with players who may not necessarily be as good uh and in some cases not nearly as good as the guys uh they are trying to replace Hercules Mata'afa coming to mind uh and Daniel Equale Nambi Aguayo not in practice uh is worrying uh, so, you know, it, it just, a lot of reasons to not be totally and completely encouraged, uh, by what this football team can do this year. Um, and the other thing I got to thinking about the other day was, you know, we, we've spent the last week or so thinking about the quarterback competition. I mean, even before that, we were thinking about it during the spring game, even without Gardner Minshew, uh, on campus as he waited to transfer in from East Carolina, uh, Washington state's going to have to do this again next year. Because I think that Minshew, you know, despite Mike Leach saying four guys had a shot at the job, which was probably one too many, I don't think Cam and Cooper really had a shot. And again, not because he's not going to be good, but because he's 18 years old. And that's what you would expect out of a guy who graduated from high school in January. He's just, he's just not there yet. That's fine. Doesn't need to be. Um, that if Minshew is the guy, and you, I, th- I think at this point we would kind of expect that to be the case, is that Washington State's going to have to do this again next year. And then they may have to do it again the year after that. But at bare minimum, this is not a one-year thing. Gardner Minshew has one year of eligibility. That's part of the graduate transfer thing, is you get one year to play. So he will be able to be with Washington State for the 2018 season, and that is it. So we're going to be going back to this again next fall. And I mean really in the spring because Minshew will be done uh, after the Apple Cup unless they go to a bowl game, which I will discuss as the preseason goes on, but I don't really think that's a possibility this year. Um, so Minshew will be done after this season. And again, the competition will open up in the spring and we're going to have another spring game where coaches are looking at who the starting quarterback could be. You're not going to get as much information out of that as you would fall camp, but you're going to go into this time next year again with 
likely three guys competing for the job. Tinsley, Gordon, and Cooper. And that's, it's just a reality of the situation Washington State has a quarterback right now. And that's, that's how it's going to be for a couple of years. I think that you feel most confident about Minshew at this point. You know, I, I think between him, Tinsley, and Gordon, they all have their pluses and minuses. But in terms of Minshew's game experience and the time he spent with Hal Mummy in the offseason, it, it has to be valuable uh, to how he's getting on here in fall camp. Plus the fact his mustache, um, it's just straight out of Miami Vice. And that's that is perhaps the best thing to me is that the guy is sporting a mustache that just it looks like he's an undercover detective for Miami PD in like 1982. I just it is absolutely perfect, just perfection that thing. Uh, but there are issues of who's starting. I mean, everywhere on this football team, and that's what happens when you lose a lot of starters. You lose three, two starters on the off. No, excuse me, three starters on the offensive line. You lose, you know, you lose two. You lose two wide receivers who either leave the team on their own or are kicked off the team, depending on who you talk to. Whether you talk to the player, Mike Leach, I, you know, I don't really care who you believe, but they're not on the team anymore. Um, you lose Hercules Mataafa and Daniel Iquale. You do get Peyton Pelour back. That's a very good thing. Uh, and you also lose Robert Taylor at safety. There's a lot of bodies to replace here. Lots and lots and lots and lots of bodies. And that is never easy to do, especially in a season where you replace a lot of the assistant coaching bodies at Washington State. Eric Mealy and Ken Wilson. That is who was assistant coaches for Washington State last season that are also assistant coaches this season. And you almost didn't have your head coach! And just there are a lot of reasons for this year to not go right for Washington State. We'll put it that way. When you have to replace basically 80 to 90% of your coaching staff, you almost had to replace your head football coach, and you've got open competitions so in so many places because of you know, because of graduations and transfers and what and guys getting kicked off team, whatever, you've got a lot of places where you don't really know who you're comfortable with yet. And and that is difficult. It is hard to win a lot of games when you have that in fall camp. And when you have three games before the conference season starts to really get it sorted out. I will say the one, the one way in which I am kind of encouraged, and actually I, I really think Mike Leach landing Tracy Clays was quite a boon. Uh, this offseason. Losing Alex Grinch to Ohio State, which congrats to him on being hired there at a superb time to be working for the Buckeyes. Um, uh, Tracy Clays needs... The, this is kind of a reclamation project for him. I don't, I don't expect Tracy Clays to stay at Washington State for a very long time. If he does and he's coaching this defense well, then it's a bonus. That's great. I, I If he is, I would love to have him for as long as possible. He was at Minnesota for a long time before being let go there after the 2016 season. But this is a bit of a reputation rebuilder for Tracy Clays. Because he was the defensive coordinator at Minnesota for so long, before being elevated to head coach uh, when Jerry Kill had those medical issues, um, this this is a reputation rebuilder for him. This is, can you coach a Washington State team that is probably, you know, it's very hard to recruit talent to Pullman. It is very hard to do what Alex Grinch did with this defense. And I've said before, I'll say it again. I think last year, they went 9-4 and four because of the defense. It was not because of the offense. The offense had a decidedly, it was not Mike Leach's best offensive season at Washington State. And it was by far the best defense he has ever had. I would not expect that this year. I really wouldn't. I, they are dangerously thin up front. Not at linebacker, not a little thin in the secondary, as Theo will talk about here in a few minutes. But on the defensive line, they are dangerously, precariously thin. So you don't you're not gonna have that defense that you can really count on to kind of pick your team up if the offense is struggling a bit. You're not going to have that this year. You don't I, I how could I forget about Frankie Luvu too? You don't have Frankie Luvu anymore. No Hercules Mata'afa. No Daniel Iquale. 
All big, big shoes to fill this season. And so if Tracy Clays can work some kind of miracle with this defense, I mean, if they can be even a shadow of what they were in 2017, that's probably, you're going to count it as a victory. You're probably going to be okay with that. So a big part of Washington State's success this year is going to be their defense. But I feel weirdly at least a little bit better about the defense if for no other reason than you're replacing three guys on the offensive line on your offense. You lose two good receivers in Tavares Martin and Isaiah Johnson Mack. You do have a lot of depth at receiver. Again, with Robert Lewis getting a 60-year back from the NCAA, that is good. But you are also breaking in a new quarterback with a lot of very young wide receivers. Tay Martin's a sophomore. Renard Bell's young. Jameer Calvin's going to be a sophomore. This is Aesop Winston and Calvin Jackson Jr.'s first season um, in the NCAA. Roderick Fisher's a freshman. Drew Jackson, I think I mentioned him already, also a freshman. So you're you're still breaking in a lot of these guys and you want a guy like Desmond Patman to really step up and finally be that guy we think he we thought he could be. So right now it's very unusual. I don't think we've had, you know, since really genuinely 2012, we haven't had a quarterback competition with Mike Leach coach team at Washington State. We have one and now I think we have more competition everywhere than we did that season. Even that season. I mean, I know they were bad. They were really bad. Um, but there's there's more competition everywhere with better players this time. But there's a lot of uncertainty. And two weeks left of honest-to-God camp before you get into that week of prep before the Wyoming game. And there's there's still a lot left to do with this football team. There's a lot left to figure out. And they can take all the time they want to. They're probably going to take right up to the Friday before their week of prep for Wyoming or that final scrimmage. They're going to take right up to then. So quarterback will be sorted out maybe in the next couple of weeks. Rotation at receiver, the kicker, the punter, the linebackers, the running backs. There's a lot still to get through for this football team. And we're going to find out a lot about them uh, here in the next couple of weeks. Uh, whether you're comfortable with that or not, that's pretty much how it's going to be. Theo Lawson coming up next here on the Coop Center Hour. Back here on the Kook Center Hour, we are now joined by the intrepid beat reporter for the Spokesman Review that covers all things Washington State Cougars football. It's Theo Lawson, who uh, he he endeavors to bring you practice reports every day, and I want everybody to know uh, how hard that work actually is because you said it was how hot in Lewiston on Friday while they were down there? Was Thursday or Friday they were down there practicing? How hot was it? I think it peaked at 111 on Thursday, then they came back up to Friday and it cooled down to, to maybe 95. So. Oh, well, good. No, that's good. The the air God's air conditioning got turned on and we got back down into very reasonable double digits in the 90s compared to 111 degrees uh, out on, was that? That's Sacagawea Middle School down there, right? That's where they practice? Right. Yep, yeah, yep. that uh, the old patch of grass at Sacagawea. No, no shade in sight, and about to say, trees was t- and yeah. a few, a, a few sets of bleachers that you can kind of hide away at for for a few minutes. Maybe five degrees cooler, but other than that, you're you're kind of in the middle of it. I was about to say, there were at least some bleachers. You could have like taken an egg out there and fried one on the metal, so you at least could have had like a late afternoon snack or something like that. But other than that, uh, we are now in. This is now full week two of practice for Washington State, a fall practice. And there's a big competition everybody's talking about. It seems like it's gotten cleared up a little bit here in the last few days, Theo. 
I'm of course talking about the kicking competition, and it seems like, uh, as we were talking about before we started recording here, that Jack Crane probably has the lead there. Right, Jack, Jack Crane, I, I think, is the leader. He, he's kind of the leader throughout spring. I, I think went through the entire spring camp without missing a field goal up until the spring game. Finally missed one, and uh, only missed one, I, I think, hit three or four mm-hmm. in the uh, Crimson Gray game and, and really kind of took, took the lead and, and kind of took hold of, a, of that position. But he's missed a few uh, He's missed a few here during, during camp, hit, hit a few uh, goal posts, actually, and mm-hmm. uh, you don't see that too often. But um, he seems to have the leg, and I, I think he, for the most part, has the consistency. And um, as, as I was telling you earlier, it's, it's not going to be Eric Powell out there right. making goals, and you can't expect him to consistently uh, you know, hit 50-yarders yeah. Or, uh, or or game winners, but but I think they have a decent situation there, and I, I think there's a little more clarity. I still think Blake Mazza still has a, has a, a bit of a chance um, to, to com- compete for the job, and I think they're going to look at three guys mm-hmm. up until the first game, but, but it, it would sure seem like uh, Jack, Jack Crane is going to be doing it this year. Well, the thing is, our, our own Zane Murphy explored last week with a really good infographic was, I mean, uh, Mike Leach's go for it on fourth down last year reduced drastically because of how much you could count on Eric Powell to nail pretty much everything and you I mean you know probably not going to be the case this year is what it sounds like is just that he just doesn't have somebody experienced enough that he can count on to go out there and put one through the uprights every time yeah I, I would certainly think so and um you know you, you look at last year and how many games that Eric Powell kind of not not single-handedly won for them but mm-hmm. without Eric Powell do you beat USC do you beat Oregon by by 23 points and and, and a few of those games they're kind of competitive in because they had a kicker who, who could go out and, and nail these 50 yarders, 40 yarders, pretty consistently. So, yeah, I, I probably wouldn't expect them to, to go for it uh, or, or, or kick quite as much on fourth down, and maybe they will go for it, kind of depending on how good they feel about the quarterback situation, which mm-hmm. is the other competition here. Not not uh, quite as important as, as kicker, but um, I, I, I would I would expect that to change. And, and yeah, when you, when you don't have someone as reliable as Eric Powell, I, I think a lot of things change. So we'll see if um, if yeah. one of these guys can can step up and, and maybe be. You know, halfway as consistent as Eric Powell, and I think that's still a win for the Cougars. We're going to get to the big one everybody wants to know about here in a second, but Daddy's going to give you what you need, not what you want right away, okay? That's how this is going to work, because I have other questions for Theo, most namely, as we talked about, and I think it's kind of been a little bit of a chatter around camp, has been uh, the absence of Nambi Aguayo. I know the coaches aren't telling you much, because they obviously don't really ever say anything, but... We don't really know what's going on, and that's a little concerning considering he's probably, I, I'm relatively confident in saying this, he's probably the best player on Washington State's defensive front this season. Yeah, from far and away the best player on the, on the defensive front. Argu- arguably maybe, maybe the best player on defense. You could certainly argue for, for Jalen Thompson, too. Mm-hmm. Probably between those two, I think both players will be all-conference players by the end of the year. So, so yeah, it, it is a little troublesome when, when, when your best defensive, uh, best, best member of the defensive front isn't, isn't a practice and consistently isn't a practice. I, I actually haven't seen Don Aguayo since, uh, since Sunday, that the, their very first day in Lewiston. And, and it just, just hadn't seen him that hadn't seen him in camp since then. And uh, mm-hmm. Derek Moore has also kind of been missing. So you kind of get to get, get a little bit uh, worried about a, a few guys on that defensive front. And it's not really clear why they're, why they're gone. Uh, it, Usually injured players or players with supposed injuries. I know I'm, I'm not supposed to use that word too much, but um, they're generally at practice doing something, something active, walking around the field, mm-hmm. kind of carrying a medicine medicine ball, um, still getting some form of conditioning in that doesn't kind of hamper them and or, or kind of uh, worsen their injury. So uh, it, it, it's a little strange that that mm-hmm. Diego wasn't at practice at least doing something like that. He he just wasn't there. So you, you can kind of speculate. I'm not going to begin to. Speculate, but right. you know it could be something like a like an illness or or, or, or something that they, they just don't want him to be around the team or, or spread something or mm-hmm. uh, someone else. Uh, I think on Twitter mentioned concussion that, that that could also be another reason for for a player to to not even be at practice. So yeah. um, we we've asked Mike Leach about it a few times. He didn't really give us much the first time. He said he's he's, he's doing everything we've asked him to do the second time he kind of made it more clear he's, he's doing everything we're asking him to do and he'll be back soon so i wouldn't think it's anything that, that would keep him out of any games uh, particularly the season opener coming up in a few weeks but yeah um if if, if it goes another week without seeing him then, then maybe start to become a little more concerned all right, now we'll talk about the one everybody wants to talk about because I think I, I was pretty surprised, Theo, uh, during his preseason teleconference when Mike Leach said four quarterbacks had a chance to start. I did not think Cam and Cooper 
really had a chance this year, not, you know, owing to the fact that, you know, he, he looked very much like a kid who should have still been in high school during the spring game. And that's fine. I'm, I don't think anybody's expecting him to be this otherworldly quarterback at the age of 18. I think that would certainly be unreasonable. But I, you know, I thought it was kind of a three-horse race between Gardner Minshew, Trey Tinsley, and Anthony Gordon. And it kind of seems like after uh, last Saturday's scrimmage that, you know, you have Gardner Minshew going 11 for 15, Trey Tinsley going 12 for 19, and Anthony Gordon going 4 for 14. I think I saw you mention in one of your blog posts that Gordon got pulled early from either a skeleton period or a team period in favor of Gardner Minshew. So would it seem to you that Mike Leach has done what he said he wants to do and gotten it down to two right now between Minshew and Tinsley? At quarterback, you know, I should be specific I, 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 here. I would, I would kind of expect by the end of the week to, to have two quarterbacks out there. Like I mentioned in the, in the blog post, right? I think it was in a tweet last night. Yeah. All three of them got, got reps during the team period last night. So um, you're not completely ruling out the possibility that uh, that Anthony Gordon is, is, is still in the competition. But uh, based on the, based on the scrimmage, it, it was quite clear who, who the two best quarterbacks were. And I even still think Gardner Minshew was, was, was definitely better and Trey Tinsley. Trey mm-hmm. Tinsley really rebounded from from his first uh, series. Well, he, he was three of six with a pick in, in his first series, and, and, and kind of fared a lot better in the second series. Otherwise, I, I think it would have been fair to say that Gardner Minshew was was easily the front runner. Had, had Trey Tinsley kind of played poorly throughout the rest of the scrimmage, but um, I, 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 I certainly think by by, by at least Wednesday or, or Thursday. It'll be down to two guys. Maybe Mike Leach gives Anthony Gordon another chance here, here on Tuesday to, mm-hmm. to show what he can do. And he, he, he has had a strong camp. And at times I, I, I kind of felt confident saying that I thought Gordon Minshew would, would, would be the final two and not Tinsley. So really kind of varies day, day to day. That, that's how tight this competition has been. But I, I think Friday was the first time where um, you could clearly see two of them were, were, were significantly better than the other. Mm-hmm. That There's been days where – Maybe one of them was slightly better than the other two, but, but never uh, was there a day when you could say two were, were much better than the third. And, and yeah. um, so I, I was I, I was sort of expected to be down to two guys here in a few days. And, and yeah, based on the scrimmage on, on Friday, I would probably go for Tinsley and, and Minshew at this point. Mm-hmm. I think I, I think I kind of want to know a little bit more about Minshew because you know I didn't really know who had a leg up. In, in this race because I, you know, I truly thought, you know, there's advantages and disadvantages to all three of these guys, um, excluding Cooper here um, right now. But, you know, Minshew has that game experience that the other two guys do not have, at least collegiately um, in the NCAA. And he worked with Hal Mummy over the summer to understand the air raid. He ran an air raidy like system in high school. Did he, did he look as comfortable as you expected him to? coming into camp or did he still even have some growing pains as they got going down in Lewiston? You know, he, he looked like he's, he's played there for three years to, to be honest. And, and, mm-hmm. and he's, he's, he doesn't look like someone who, who is, you know, going to be, going to be a, you know, a, a, a NFL draft pick, you know, next year. He, he doesn't, doesn't look like um, that kind of quarterback with just, you know, elite arm strength or, or kind of elite accuracy or anything like that. But, but he certainly looks like he belongs. And then I would say from, Someone, if someone had never seen any any of those three quarterbacks play, or were going to their first ever, you know, Washington State practice. You you, you would kind of look at him and, and just assume that he, he had been there as long as Trey Tinsley and Anthony Gordon. So mm-hmm. he, he certainly looks like he fits. And I know he spent a lot of time working with uh, with Tay Martin over the summer, which is probably the best receiver to, to work with if you're going to have yes, to choose from, from anyone. Yes. <laughs> um, and, and he kind of made the comment that that throwing to Tay Martin was was one of the easiest things that, that he's had to do coming in here. And um, so. Uh, he's 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 fitting well. That the team the team loves him. He, 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 like I said, he, he looks like he's been there for, for 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 years, and they respond to him. They play for him, and uh, not not to say that they don't play for the other two guys, but, but you just wonder what, what's going to happen when a new guy comes in, and the, mm-hmm. the other two guys already have the respect and, and um, from, from the team. So um, he's he's kind of commanded their respect. And I expected he would, and he's been around long enough that that he understands what he has to do to win a job and what he has to do to, to fit in. So mm-hmm. he's, he's vocal, he's, he's animated, he's, he's energetic. He just kind of has some, some of the intangibles that I think in a, in a, in a race that this, that, that's this close, I think those things really matter. And of course the game experience comes into play. And if it's this tight, why not go with the guy who's, who's already played in a number of games? Right. So I, I would say he kind of has the, the edge in a lot of departments right now. Trey Tinsley and Anthony Gordon have both had, had pretty good camps and both look a little better than they did in the spring, which is good. So, I think he felt all right about either. I 
this in any of the three guys playing. Um, but but certainly Gardner Minshew has impressed, mm-hmm. and I, I think uh, this is kind of what you expected to see from him. Let's go to the guys who uh, stand next to them in the backfield because Keith Harrington is going to have some more time back there this year. Didn't get a lot last year with Jamal Morrow, Gerard Wicks, and uh, James Williams. James Williams, of course, also back. Uh, but Max Borgie, the f- true freshman from Colorado, uh, really seems to be pushing the issue, Theo, in terms of he is not going to, you know, just sit on the sidelines this year. It looks like he intends to play some football, uh, and he got most of the carries in the scrimmage on Friday. I guess that's not totally indicative of, you know, how things are going to go during the season, but I, you would probably expect to see him get a lot of carries. Would you say it's going to be as many as James Williams, or he just, you know, he'll be the number two guy between Williams, him, and Harrington? You know, it's, it's it's tough to tell what what which of those those two, and, and I will say too because I, I still think both of those guys will will get a little more uh, work than, than Keith Harrington during the season. Mm-hmm. I think there's a role for Keith Harrington. I think Keith will be pretty big on special teams. I think he was probably their best special teams player last year. But um, I, I I do think that the reps will be will be mainly divvied up between Borgie and, and, and Williams. So I, I don't think there's much room for error for, for James Williams at this point because. He knows that there's that there's this true freshman who who is is more talented than, than most mm-hmm. true freshmen in the country, and that there's a reason he he came to campus early and, and came in the spring and, and got a head start on, on the weightlifting and the playbook and working with working with the team. So he he, he does everything that, that you want a tailback to do. He's 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 a north and south runner. Doesn't waste a lot of time with 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 juke moves and, and, and as as explosive and electric as James Williams can be, you see him kind of dancing around a lot back there. You know, Max Borgie's not not going to do that. He's 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 a straightforward kind of guy. Has a lot of power, and he's only going to get more powerful as as he spends more time with with uh, with the the, the weight train the, the weight coaches. So um, fast, explosive, and, and and really runs hard and, and keeps his legs churning, and especially mm-hmm. uh, when he gets hit. So he's he's plowed over a lot of defenders that that, that have a lot more experience than him and it's really scary to think of what he can be in, in two years um, if he sticks around so um, I, I, I would probably expect both of those guys to get a, to, to get a lot of reps I, I still think James Williams with his experience and what he did last year I led the team in carries led the team in receptions he's such a big part of that offense and, and he's proven that he can really help in the, in the passing game too mm-hmm. uh, shovel passes or, or, or just kind of a little dump off so um, I, I would expect both to get a lot of, a lot of work but, but I think the better, the better Max Borgie plays the better his chances are of, of kind of becoming a, a, a primary tailback whether it's mm-hmm. uh, this season or next season let's move to the receivers now because this is kind of one area of the team where I'm weirdly kind of comfortable with how deep the Cougs look you get Robert Lewis back a sixth season of eligibility so that helps tremendously especially in the blocking because he's a very, very good blocker. Uh, but even though you lose uh, Isaiah Johnson, Mack, and Tavares Martin, you still have Tay Martin, who really came on last year, I thought. Renard Bell looked great. Jameer Calvin looked great. Aesop Winston coming off his red shirt, kind of waiting on Desmond Patman to step up. You have Kyle Sweet. And, of course, you also have Roderick Fisher uh, from Spokane and Calvin Jackson Jr. from uh, Last Chance U fame. Is that kind of one area on the offense and really the whole team where you kind of feel really good about the depth as well? Because that's kind of the one spot where I feel the best about the talent this team has. Right. I I think talking to to a lot of people who have been around the program – Followed, followed this team much longer than I have. I, I think it's it's one of the deepest receiving cores that, that Mike Leach has had here, here at Wazoo because uh, Mike Leach likes to play eight guys, and, and there's probably 12 to 13 guys who feel like they should be part of that rotation and, and probably could be part of that rotation and mm-hmm. could contribute in, in a major way. And I think at, at each of those four spots, you have at least three guys that, that, that can really make a difference. And so I think the biggest challenge for, for Mike Leach is, is whittling it down to eight because he's, he's said strictly he's, he's going to play eight guys that's how he's always done it. it. It's easier to get a lot of guys reps when you have fewer, fewer of them. So I, I think I think here in the next week, while we'll, we're talking a lot about quarterback and what's going to happen there, I think you're also going to see the the receiver rotation finally kind of cut down to eight guys, and and, and you're going to have two guys at each spot getting getting the majority of the reps. But but it's going to be really tough to figure out who, who those eight are still because uh, I mean you look at the inside receiver spots uh, at the wide receiver coming into the year, you, you just kind of assumed okay, Jameer Calvin and, and Kyle Sweet are, are going to be the two guys there, but Kyle Sweet's not not been a full practice participant, and mm-hmm. Brandon Arcanado stepped up, and honestly, a, a few of these days he, he's been the best receiver and had a, had a number of touchdowns in Lewiston and and caught a touchdown in the, in the scrimmage on Friday. So 
that might be a guy that, that despite as, as well as he's playing, and you know he had a touchdown last year against Colorado, and uh, has has proven he, he can kind of make an impact. He, he might just be left out because they're they're going to play eight guys, and, and then you look at uh, the, the Z receiver position where Desmond Patman and Aesop Winston are are kind of entrenched into those those two spots. Both both had a very good spring, and, and mm-hmm. Aesop Winston routinely makes the best plays during practice. But then then you have Calvin Jackson who is kind of still on the outside looking in, but but probably could start or, or at least contribute to, to most Pac-12 most Pac-12 teams. So it, yeah. it's a lot of depth, a lot of competition. There's a lot of guys with with very different skill sets. I, I think they have. Uh, kind of guys with a number of traits. Aesop Winston's hands are, are probably the best on the team. But then you have Desmond Patman, who's, who's probably your, your, your best goal line target and, and can, can jump up and get any ball that's thrown to him. Uh, you know, Jameer Calvin's speed, uh, Kyle Sweet's kind of just ability to always always find a way to get open, his consistency. So I, I think you have a lot of uh, valuable traits um, among the receivers, and, and then you have a lot of youth too. So mm-hmm. not only this season, but but in the future uh, with with Drew Jackson, Roger Fisher, and, and, and some of the younger guys, even, even guys that, that aren't going to play this season, Cassidy Woods and Brandon Gray, both of those guys have, have had their moments during camp too. So I think it's a very promising position, and, and if, if they can find someone to throw the ball to them, I, I think that's going to be a pretty ex- explosive group. <laughs> the ball to them. Uh, I wanted to. We already talked a little bit about the defensive line with uh, Nambi Aguayo's absence, so let's move to the linebackers because that's probably to be very key uh, to the defensive success this year if the defensive line is just not going to be up to snuff and there's probably reason to expect that with Daniel Aquala and Hercules Mata off as a departure anytime you lose that much talent uh, it's just not going to be what it was you get Peyton Pluer back again another sixth year awarded by the NCAA that's very important for Washington State Jihad Woods Justice Rogers are back obviously as well from last season they both played excellently uh, in the absence of some injuries do they look okay back there? And is there anybody else we should be keeping an eye on at linebacker for this year? Because it seems like those three guys are kind of who we really have been seeing. But Dylan Sherman, I know, has made some noise at times. Anybody else we need to know about? Yeah, I think those are the, pri- the primary four guys who we're going to see the, the, the majority of the reps. Um, obviously, uh, three of those guys got a lot of unexpected reps last year. And, and that was really a blessing in disguise for the, for the Cougars that, uh, that you know, unfortunately – a few seniors got hurt, but then you, you have these redshirt freshmen who, who never really played and are, 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 are you know being counted on to make big plays and big moments, and, mm-hmm. and they came through for the most part. This is a team that, that still won nine games, and um, I don't I don't think you could really look at any any of their losses and, and just point to the linebackers as, as the reason that, that, that the Cougars couldn't pull out a win. So mm-hmm. um, th- those guys got a ton of experience, and uh, they're, they're they're almost like veteran players now coming into into their sophomore seasons just because they, they started a bunch of games and made a lot of plays. So the the, the three of them that you mentioned, along with Peyton Pluer coming back, he's uh, basically 50 years old. 50 years old at this point, and he's kind of like <laughs> a second uh, second inside linebacker coach to Ken Wilson. So that's uh, that's uh, of course really valuable for mm-hmm. for the for the, the coaching staff. Um, and then uh, I, I think a few more guys uh, to, to keep an eye on would, would be Fave Favea. I'm not, never sure if I'm saying that right, but um, he's he's come up with a few plays during 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 camps. He seems to be pretty good and. And pass coverage, it came up with an interception in Lewiston. Um, another guy who, who uh, I think most people probably probably haven't heard of, Dominic Sills, played a little bit last year, played on special teams. Uh, mm-hmm. He was he was one of the better players during that scrimmage on Friday. So I think uh, I think next to the receivers, I, I think the linebackers are easily the deepest team, deepest group on, on the team. I, I think at both of those those middle linebacker spots, the Will and the Mike, you, you have three guys who, who can who can step in and, and, and play and. and defense can kind of keep the same level yeah. of production but certainly with with the, the top two guys jihad woods and, and peyton clore i think both of those guys could could end up being all conference players and uh justice rogers and, and dylan sherman came up uh came up with big plays last season and i, I think another year of experience is, is uh it's only going to do good things for, for, for that group move on to the final unit that would play on offense or defense the secondary we all know jalen thompson's going to be back there we all know pretty much darian moulton's going to be back there i know they like sean harper jr he played really well uh last year for washington state marcus strong uh also had good moments at cornerback and then at safety where are we looking for the guy who's going to sit opposite jalen thompson because i know that uh you know Dion singleton uh had some good moments as well but was there anybody else who we should be keeping an eye on for who's going to be starting back there yeah well i, I would 
would say right now it's Skylar Thomas. He, he's been the guy next to Jalen um, mm-hmm. with with the first team defense uh, probably ninety percent of the time. So mm-hmm. it, it sure seems like they have they have that that first team uh, kind of secondary nailed down with uh, Darian Moulton and and Sean Harper and and then Skylar Thomas, uh, Jalen Thompson, and, and of course Hunter Dale at nickel too. Yeah. So um, I, I think they feel really really good about those five. I know there was a lot of concern about the depth of, of that group coming into the fall. That, that was something that, that Tracy Clays co- constantly pointed at during, during the spring is, okay, we have a pretty good first flight of players led by one of the best safeties, safeties in the Pac-12, but behind those four or five guys, there's just not a ton of depth. And I, I think the influx of, of freshmen, um, some of the newcomers and, and, and uh, JC transfers, uh, kind of talking about Halid Jabril, Tyrese Ross, Chad Davis, um, those those three especially have have really shown up during mm-hmm. during fall camp and have proven that 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 they're young but they can probably contribute to contribute at some level this year, uh, just in case that those first four or five guys get hurt at some point or even just dispel those guys in, in games and give them some rest. So yeah. I, th- I think they they feel a lot better about the depth than they did coming into into the fall. Uh, of, of course, they're still young players who haven't ever played in the Pac-12 game, so you have to wait and see what happens when they get out there. But I, th- I think they feel pretty good about the secondary. I believe this was the secondary that, that led, the, led the Pac-12 in interceptions last year, and they bring back everyone. Um, so I, I think they feel pretty good about it. I guess everyone minus Rob Taylor. Uh, I, I think they feel pretty pretty good about that group, and mm-hmm. I, I would kind of expect the same production from them this year. All right, let's move on to the most exciting thing. Uh, on the team, there's a competition at punter, and as I understand it, there's also a competition at long snapper. And I don't mean to make light of that because that is very important, especially the long snapper. Uh, if that goes sails over the head of a punter, say in the end zone, that's no good. Well, I mean, really, any time. But is it my understanding, Theo, that we are doing away with the Kyle Sweet rugby punt experiment this year, and we're just going to be punting the football? Yeah, I think hallelujah. You know, that, no, that's all, that's that's great. That's f- perfect. Yes, I mean, continue, but that that is like ninety percent of what I wanted there. <laughs> right, right. I, I, I think I think for 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 twelve, thirteen games, I, I don't think we'll see a rugby punt this year, and that's the first time that's happened at Washington State for 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 a while, from what I understand. And, and they're, they're, they they are getting away from the, the the three punter system, which was always kind of risky to begin with, I think. But they they, they certainly thought it kind of could work last year with, with three guys who, who could each kind of help out in different situations depending on on where they were on the field. So I, th- I think it's probably positive that 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 finally they're they're, they're finding a full time punter and someone. Who, who who can go out and, and give them 40 yards, 50 yards every time they go out there. So mm-hmm. um, I, I, I think it's still a competition right now between Oliver Graybar, um, who is a, a redshirt junior, I believe, played at uh, Rhode Island. I might, might be wrong about that. He's, he's, he's a newcomer. And then Oscar, um, and, and again, I'm probably not saying this this name right either. It'll take me some time. Uh, Oscar Dragwisevich. Uh, who comes yeah, close Texas, enough. I close enough for government uh, work. That's fine. That's good. Yeah, we'll we'll figure it out eventually if, if yeah. he becomes the, the starting puncher. So, um, his dad was a former MLS uh, soccer player. So, so that, oh. that goes well for the Cougars. And um, I, I've kind of watched a little bit of both uh, during camp. Both seem to have seem to have pretty good legs, uh, which is to say they can they can kick it farther than Kyle Sweet. Um, <laughs> so, so I would, ex- I would expect I would expect him to go that way this year. Uh, talking to to. to, to uh, Matt Broxton, new special teams coach, he's really committed to, to a, tr- a traditional punter and someone who can really give him give him a long boot every time he goes out there. So I think that's probably in the best interest. Uh, the the, the three-punter system was interesting. It worked at times last year, and at times it, it failed pretty miserably. So um, I, I think I think they're moving in the right direction there. We're going to leave uh, Theo with this last question here, and it's kind of something I've glossed over a little bit, and I've noticed I, you know, I haven't, I haven't really thought about it a lot uh, leading into this season is that there are a lot of new assistant coaches. I mean, there's not a very, you know, nary a familiar name uh, on the on the assistant coaching roster. I mean, just looking up and down, it's pretty much Ken Wilson and Eric Mealy, and that's it, pretty much. How are they seem to be meshing with all the players so far in fall camp, and is it going about as you would expect it would in terms of how they're all kind of comporting with one another? Yeah, I think I think it seems like a natural fit for for all of them. I, I know Tracy Clay's was going to have to spend pretty much the whole spring learning learning the, the, ter- the terminology. He really made a point of learning their vocabulary rather than teaching a kind of a, a whole new you know, dictionary of words to mm-hmm. to the defensive players. So so he, he we talked to him after the scrimmage on Friday. It was the first time we 
met with him d- during fall camp, and he said he's he's had that he's he's gotten it down. He, he knows the terminology now. I think really having all those guys there in the spring uh, kind of kind of paid off. And, and uh, you know, a few of those guys have, have been around. At least Darcel McBath. He, he's not really um, a, a new commodity. He's been around. Just just kind of got elevated. So. Uh, Mason Miller has spent just a ton of time in the air raid offense, and he, he has a relationship with Mike Leach. Um, so, so I think they feel pretty good about the, about, about the offensive line, and he, he's a very vocal guy, and the players mm-hmm. respond to him uh, much more kind of vocal and energetic than, than Clay McGuire seemed to be. So, um, and, and then Matt Brock, who we were just talking about, he's, he's one of the most energetic guys out there, and they, they, they kind of seem to feed off of that. And so um, I, I think top to bottom, uh, Steve Sprayer Jr., obviously tons of experience and, and, and knows a thing or two about football. Um, so I think top to bottom, I, they, they feel pretty good about their, their their hires there, and they also do pretty natural fits. I, I haven't heard a bad thing about any of them. Not that the players would probably uh, tell us a bad thing if, if we asked, yeah. but um, I, 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 it seems to be a pretty natural fit. I, I think especially uh, the, the most important one, the defensive coordinator Tracy Clay, is that they, they like him. They like his schemes. He's he's a lot different than Alex Grinch in so many ways, but. I think that could be a good thing. Uh, it's just a different coaching style that they might have to take some time to adapt to it and mm-hmm. get used to not uh, not having the DC in their grill yelling at them every play. But <laughs> I don't think that's I don't think that's a bad thing necessarily. And he's he's had perfect success everywhere he's been. So yeah, yeah I, I would say it seems like a natural fit despite despite how much turnover there was. Twenty-seven good minutes with Theo Loss in the first podcast of the year. We treat you very well around here, and so does he. Thank you for the time, sir. Yep, thank you for having me. Thanks to Theo Lawson for joining us here on the Cook Center Hour. 27, like almost a half hour of like really good stuff on Washington State football. Two weeks away uh, from game prep time uh, for their opener against Wyoming in Laramie. Uh, that'll be probably a toughie. We'll get more into that, obviously, the week of. But Wyoming also has a game the week before against New Mexico State. So they're actually going to get to play a game uh, before Washington State comes in fresh off of camp. So a little bit of a little value there for the Cowboys uh, in that season opener for at least Washington State. Uh, I want to move to the other coast of the United States now, and obviously this is this has been a really bad uh, recent few weeks for college football. Um, the Ohio State situation, I, I don't even, I it's horrific for one thing. Uh, we could spend an entire other show uh, talking about it. Um, but the much simpler... I don't even know if I want to call it simpler, but the a situation that is also horrific at uh, the University of Maryland uh, this week with DJ Durkin, the head football coach, being placed on administrative leave uh, on August 11th following an ESPN report about the culture at that university. And that followed the death of a player from heat stroke at a practice in May. Jordan McNair died a couple of weeks after the after getting heat stroke at a team workout in College Park. And the school placed DJ Durkin on administrative leave after ESPN and very detailed reporting, very good reporting from Heather Dinich, Tom Van Heron, and Adam Rittenberg. Uh, but this, pretty much the what you really need to know, and this from SB Nation as well, uh, is what went on here. There is a coaching environment based on fear and intimidation. In one example, a player holding a meal while in a meeting had the meal slapped out of his hands in front of the team. At other times, small weights and other objects were thrown in the directions of players when the strength coach was angry. The belittling, humiliation, and embarrassment of players is common. In one example, a player whom coaches wanted to lose weight was forced to eat candy bars. 
as he was made to watch teammates working out. Extreme verbal abuse of players occurs often. Players are routinely the targets of obscenity-laced epithets. I don't even, I can't remember how to say that word. Meant to mock their masculinity when they are unable to complete a workout or weightlift, for example. One player was belittled verbally after passing out during a drill. Coaches have endorsed unhealthy, unhealthy eating habits and used food punitively. For example, a player said he was forced to overeat or eat to the point of vomiting. They're 18 to 22 year olds playing football. Yeah, they're getting scholarships and they're getting money, but they're playing for free. And you are being paid. I don't know how much DJ Durkin is being paid, but I can tell you it's in the millions of dollars. You are being paid an unholy amount of money to supervise these amateur athletes. And I know people, you can you can say, well, they can get up and leave anytime they want to. They can get up. They have free will. They can do that. And you know what? At the very basis, base level, you are right. But when you're talking about someone trying to impress coaches who want they you know they're athletes they want to do well they want to be there for their teammates and they don't want to be viewed as weak it is such a masculine culture that they are not going to just leave because somebody throws weights at them because somebody hits food out of their hand because somebody forces them to eat candy bars while they make them watch their teammates work out i understand that these men, and I say that because they are adults, I understand that they are men, but they are 18 to 22 years old. They are vulnerable. This is the first time most of them have ever been away from home and dealt with authority figures who are not their parents or grandparents or guardian or whatever. You have a duty as a football coach, as assistant football coaches, as a university to care for these young men and that extends not just to the football team but every single team on that campus i don't care if it's the men's basketball team the women's basketball team the women's soccer team the softball team the baseball team the volleyball team whatever it is your duty first and foremost to protect them from any kind of physical danger Berating a player after he passes out is disgusting behavior. It is abhorrent. It is awful. And I pray that I never hear about that kind of behavior from Washington State coach because I would be less than thrilled. But in all of this, perhaps what is worst... Worse, excuse me. Well, no, worst is the right word. And I say that, I, I, I have a hard time saying that because running a workout where a player got heat stroke and died is very bad and you should be fired and the pending lawsuit from their family uh, had better be paid out quite a bit because you owe that family some money and that will not begin to heal the hurt they have in their heart for losing their son, their brother, their cousin, whatever because of your malpractice. What is almost equally as disgusting, and that would be a better way to put it, is what Will Muschamp, the head coach of South Carolina, said after that report came out. Quote, Durkin is an outstanding football coach. He's also an outstanding husband and a father, and he treats people with respect. There is no credibility in anonymous sources. If that former staffer had any guts, why didn't he put his name on that? I think that's gutless. In any business, in any company, and in any football team, especially right here in August, you can find a disgruntled player that's probably not playing. I think it's a lack of journalistic integrity to print things with anonymous sources. But I know DJ Durkin personally. I know what kind of man he is and what kind of person he is. I talked to him this morning. I don't think it's right. You want me to list the things that are wrong with that, Will? Because I'd be happy to. I would be elated to. First of all, there's plenty of credibility in anonymous sources. And you're saying if that former staffer had any guts, why didn't he put his name on that? Because he ain't getting hired anywhere if he puts his name on that. You can call it gutless all you want. And you can know in your heart that that former staff member would have been right to report to Heather Dinich and to report to ESPN and everybody who wrote that piece that that happened. You would know they are right. 
but they're not getting hired anywhere. You're, they're not getting hired anywhere. You know that. Because they ratted out what happened. And every coach in America is going to see that and not going to, for right, wrong, or indifferent, is not going to trust the person. Actually, wrongly. You're not going to trust the person. You are not going to trust them. So, A, there's a reason why they didn't put the name on it. Like, I'm sorry. That's how that goes. In any business, in any company, in any football team, well, there you go, just making the case these kids should be paid. Thank you. It is a it is a business. I think it's a lack of journalistic integrity to print things with anonymous sources. That's how it goes when you're trying to protect your sources, Will. That's how it goes. But I, I, I am baffled that in the wake of this, just because you worked with DJ Durkin for a number of years, you are willing to put up with a guy who was on administrative leave because he was in charge of a football team where at a workout, a player got heat stroke and died two weeks later. This is, this is a very simple equation for me. You are there to protect those kids. And I know they are men, but again, away from home for the first time for many of them, and they need protecting, and they are looking to you to protect them. I don't mean from wins and losses and from you know trying to grow in that way. I don't mean from you know a, a violent hit on a football field from another team. I don't mean in any of those ways. I mean it is your job while you are supervising them at practices, at workouts, whatever, to protect them from physical and even psychological harm. You are, this guy, if everything in that report is true, is intimidating the hell out of these kids. And that is frightening. It is so frightening to be intimidated like that. And you're going to go to bat for a guy who's accused of doing that. Do you want me to give you the better answer there, Will? When somebody asks you about it, you can say, and I quote, I know DJ Durkin personally. We have a long relationship. I know he's a good man, but this is a very, very tough time for him. And I'm going to wait to comment fully on this until the until all the facts from the university's investigation are made public. Next question, please. That's it. That's all you have to say. You don't have to call a coach gutless for not putting his name on it because you know damn well good why he didn't. Because no one would ever hire that dude again. There is journalistic integrity in anonymous sources. That's, you know, that's part of all protecting sources. That's how that works. But a kid died, Will. Dead. He is dead. And you're going to go to bat for this guy? Give me a break. On that note, Dunderhead of the Week, Ask Michael anything coming up. We'll wrap up the show next. Thunderhead of the week time. We're finally in a less serious part of the program. Not that uh, much before my Maryland rant was that serious. Um, so the Seattle Seahawks every year, uh, for their season ticket holders, they give them a gift uh, to thank them for being season ticket holders. And I know Washington State usually passes along a small something uh, to give to you. I know this year they're giving uh, all the season ticket holders clear bags because they have a new clear bag policy, which is very nice of them. Uh, but they, even in years where they didn't do that, they gave a small something away, um, which I, I was, you know, I didn't ever expect it because it's a public university. They only have 13,000 season ticket holders and they've got 
you know, only so much money to go around for things. And so I thought it was always very generous whenever they did give you something. And especially with the addition now of putting down padded seats if you donate enough, that was all I needed for my, my tush to be comfortable. Um, the Seattle Seahawks, on the other hand, <laughs> they have like... Wazoo has like twelve or 13,000 season ticket holders, somewhere in that area. Uh, the Seahawks have got to have like, what, fifty or 55,000 season ticket holders. Most of that stadium's taken up by season ticket holders. They're all paying exorbitant prices for 10 games a season at least, because remember, you got to pay for the preseason games. Uh, and they also get NFL revenue sharing and all this other crap that their overhead is like way down here compared to Wazoo's and, you know, whatever else. Put it this way, they can afford a little bit of a nicer gift for their season ticket holders. It's a very roundabout way of getting there, but I'm nothing if not a roundabout guy, mostly in the gut. Um, so this year, they gave out luggage tags. Luggage tags. Yes. That is a thing they thought would be a good idea. Really setting the expectations early, aren't we, boys? <laughs> oh my gosh, a luggage tag. Come on. I get those for free from the little baggage claim thingy or the, the counter, the ticket counter. You know, little things with like the elastic string that'll snap you right in the eyeball if you're not careful. Yeah. <laughs> Don't give me any, like, I'm not a season ticket holder. We're on the waiting list to get be a season ticket holder, and once I am, I will be thrilled. But just don't give me anything. Just don't, just. If you're just gonna give me a luggage tag, don't give me anything. Just a nice pat on the butt on the way in. That's about all I need, if the alternative is and luggage tag. Because that's, that's the thing, if you had multiple seats, you didn't get a tag for each seat. You got an luggage tag. <laughs> Your 6 and 10 Seattle Seahawks. Ask Michael anything. Ask Michael anything. It is back. At WSU Cougar 08, Rick, what gear have you or will you be purchasing in anticipation of the upcoming season? Recommendations also welcome. I just uh, bought off of WSUCougars.com the other day uh, a long sleeve, just like simple Washington State across the chest, crimson. And then I bought a crew neck sweatshirt. I really like crew neck sweatshirts. I think they look nice. I think they look classy. I bought one of those. I thought it was really nice. I would love to buy another polo. And I think I want to get... I'm gonna get a new hat this year too. I need to do that, but I gotta limit myself. Maybe another sweatshirt though. At double BS13, double BS, ask me a lot of questions. Rapid fire here. Blueberry waffles, hell yes. Pineapple and curry, no. Do you set your cruise control at seven or eight over on Highway 26? Uh, I set it at about eight, right about there. Keep cable or go to Tony's for Coog Road games. I assume that's Tony's and Kingsgate uh, in Kirkland there. I keep my cable, I like to watch at home, or we go to the Kangaroo and Kiwi and Ballard much closer. Uh, to our house. There you go. At Shanku8606, is calling dibs on tasty leftovers an important part of any healthy marriage? Yes. And breaking dibs is, I, that, that is an unforgivable sin. If you call dibs on good leftovers and someone takes those leftovers, you have every right to make that spouse sleep on the couch. Which explains why I've slept on the couch. Look, if you're gonna leave steak in the fridge, take it to work, okay? That's my, that's my only... Just take it with you, if you don't want me to eat it. At the Craig Powers, our own Craig Powers, what's your preferred alternate route during the 26 construction? As some of you may know, 26 is closed east of Othello, so they're doing a detour south of Othello, up back up to Washtuckna uh, for the first at least three games of the season. Uh, my preferred alternate route is none your business because I don't want other people knowing what mine is um, because I, I I don't want anybody to know I want less people to go that way but uh, I'll say go all the way to Spokane and then take 195 down Ooh, or go through the Tri-Cities and then go through Walla Walla and then back up that way 
if you want to take like a Friday night, like especially for that first game, you can stay in Walla Walla Friday night, get some wine tasting in, and then head up to Pullman the next day. I'm giving you good recommendations. You're welcome. At the last Zoom, Casey Graham, best Pullman Moscow brewery. You know, honestly, I've only had Paradise Creek. I don't think I've had um, any other brewery. I really, I really like uh, Paradise Creek. Their Huckleberry, I can't remember the name of it, but the Huckleberry is just ooh, really good. At Rance Mariners, Mariners Rance, who do you think will be our week one starting quarterback? Uh, Gardner Minshew, I would expect. Uh, it's going to be him. We touched on most of the rest of these. Any news about Cole Madison? No, they're not saying too much uh, about him. At Coogs, Zukug, what do you miss most or most excited about in Pullman? Uh, just being back there. I think, honestly, that's the thing I start to miss the most, like at this point. Like, I just kind of started missing being in Pullman. That's the big thing for me. But also going to Valhalla for some wings. Uh, at Zane RM, our own Zane Murphy, what's the first thing you do or place you go once you get back to Pullman for the first time after the offseason? Uh, usually, again, Valhalla. That's <laughs> usually, I am ready to go right to the bar once we get back there after the first offseason. And I just, I just run right back to Valhalla. It's like it calls to me. This one got in at the last second. At LJ Wigan, has Leach said who will be captains? No, nobody said yet. Uh, we'll see because nobody's there to flip a coin like Jamal Morrow. Next week on the Kook Center Hour, we will see you there. Another good one coming up as we get into the 2018 football season.